I'm Chad. And I'm Cheese. And we are the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Our podcast covers news, startups, AI, automation, programmatic, and all the things the kids are excited about. (laughs) And then we drown it with a healthy dose of snark, attitude, and four-letter words. Subscribe to the Chad and Cheese Podcast today wherever you listen to your podcasts. So I'm recording this the day after Thanksgiving, so I am still full. And, God, I'm so full. I can't believe I ate so much. And I can't believe that even when you're still full and there's really good food in the house, you go, maybe I'll have a little more stuffing. And that's really what kills you, right? That's what really does it to you. Anyway, I only bring it up because uh, yesterday, in the midst of the gluttony monstrosity that is American Thanksgiving, I stopped and I watched a little football because I wanted to and I had my wife's parents or my, my wife's mother and family was in the room and it was like you know what i just need a break from the from the noise and the chaos and the the talking and all the stuff so i watched a little football and there's a commercial and i'm going to name the name because just because i can because I don't, this isn't really kind of a any i'm not looking for an opportunity to denigrate them i'm not looking for the opportunity to sing their praises i'm simply saying this is a great example of what we want to i want to talk about today and uh it's, it's easy to find in fact i'm going to link the commercial into the show notes if i remember to and i usually don't but i will very much try to today it was bank of america and they had a 60 second spot and i bring it up because at the end of the spot there was this kind of like whoa whoa whoa, whoa. what did i just see was that the first real mainstream, uh, very expensive on NFL football commercial in which it was both talking about the employer brand and the consumer brand? And no, that's not the very first one. Certainly, there have been plenty of examples of it. But to me, it was the first time I really saw, okay, this is clearly a play. This is clearly a great example of a truly integrated employer brand or what will likely one day eventually be called just the integrated brand. And that's what the subject of today's episode is. So hold on tight. We'll be right back. Welcome to the Talent Cast, the world's most caffeinated employer brand podcast. I'm your host, James Ellis. And I've been doing employer brand for years now, and I absolutely love the industry. I love how it's growing. I love how it's changing. And I've tried to do my part to elevate the concept, to get everybody to understand the power employer brand can have in hiring, attracting, and retaining talent. So we try to really focus on driving home the idea that this is a calling and a craft. It's a lot of getting your hands dirty, but it's also a lot of big strategic thinking. And that's where we kind of live, that kind of uh, Venn diagram, the intersection between those the big ideas and the getting the details right. So we talk a lot about employer brand and how to do it right and how to think about it and how to look at your problems in a whole new way. Ready to rock? One, two, three, let's go. Hey, how you doing, James Ellis? In terms of housekeeping, uh, yes, there's a newsletter. You should go sign up for it. Just go to employerbrand.news. There's a link in the show notes, and that's you know for you. And it's just weekly, hey, on Monday morning when I drop this web, uh, uh, what the heck is this thing? This podcast, this thing I do where I shout, where I talk into this uh, black microphone, um, this thing I do that you listen to for some reason. I have a newsletter. It's just headlines. It's, hey, here's what's going on in the world. Here's what you should know. Here's what some good ideas I'm seeing. Here's some you know bigger picture stuff so you can read the articles with some more context or uh, perspective perhaps to it. But the other thing I want to talk about is another new thing I'm trying, which has been very successful thus far, so I'm opening the doors up quite a bit, and that is open office hours. So for 15 minutes, you can book me, show up, and ask me anything. Just 
ask me questions. Ask me about your employer brand. Ask me about how do you get buy-in. Uh, talk to me about your challenges. Just Let's just talk employer brand for 15 minutes. It's your time. You do ask any question you want. Ask me anything. And uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm helpful. Maybe I'm useful. So it's been super useful so far. We've had a couple of versions, a couple of... Uh, um, Got meetings, I guess you want to call it, I'll, whatever this situation is, uh, and they've been super fun. So uh, I'm bringing it up. So again, the link is in the show notes. But if you can't find the show notes and you can't find the link, just either email me or tweet me, and I will shoot you the link, and you can book yourself the 15 any 15 minutes you want of the 15 minutes I've the pockets of time I can make available to you. So that's super cool. So please do that. Anyway. Let's talk about the integrated employer brand. Now, uh, Jason Kipps, who is works also works at Universum over in Canada, uh, he has <laughs> been a long proponent that he sees the future of employer branding be very much integrated, that it is the uh, employer brand is the, let's call it the most human element within a broader consumer, uh, uh, corporate brand, not consumer brand, a corporate brand. And that is to say a brand, meaning the face of a organization, company, corporation, what have you. Yes, yeah, sometimes it's nonprofit. Sometimes, sometimes, why not? Why can't it be a government? But it's the brand, the concept of what we think that thing is there to do, how it does it, why it does it, all that good stuff is seen through different lenses. And very often we look at it through the lens of a consumer and we get to see things like why you should buy this stuff from us and why we're lovely and why it helps you. And you end up in a model where you, let's be fair, it's it's featuritis, right? It is very much a, hey, you should buy our products from us. Why? Well, because it has a little clock on it and it comes in 17 colors and because it does this thing and because this battery is a little bit longer and because we threw an extra camera on it and because it's now water resistant to three extra meters. Woohoo, right? It's feature, 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 feature. Because when we look at a consumer product or a brand through a consumer lens, we're very much deciding, do I spend my money here? Do I make the transaction? And there's the word, there's the magic word, transaction. Do I make a transaction? You've got a donut, I've got a dollar, shall we trade? Because the the, the transaction is transactional, meaning we're just gonna exchange this thing and I'm gonna get value from you and you're gonna get value from me and hopefully we both see more value for what we got so we can walk away happy right? And say nice things about the company and say nice things about the product and say nice things about the exchange so that, you know, the company sees more and more of those transactions, i.e. making money, and it grows, right? Through the investor lens, right? As an investor, should you invest in this company? Should you buy the stock? Should you uh, put money up for its value, for its funding, uh, its series whatever funding, right? Should you invest in the company? The reason you invest in the company is also sort of featureitis. It is sort of transactional. Oh, actually, it's very transactional. But the conversation around the transaction is a little different. It's got a much longer time frame, right? No one expects to have uh, an investor outside of day traders, and I don't think you want to call those investors. No one expects an investor to do this and just, here, here's my money. Give me some stock. Done because the value of the stock is a question of how it performs over time. The value of the stock is only is only measured at the moment of the sale. If I pay you $100 for that share of stock, but tomorrow it goes down to being worth $2, how much is that stock worth? It's worth $2. But if I don't sell it, it's not worth $2. It's worth 
whatever I end up selling it for. If I can sell it for $20 the next day, it's worth $20. The value of it isn't determined until the end of the transaction, until the end of the holding period, which means the value of that transaction has yet to be determined. Whereas I can say, I'm gonna buy a car, and I'm really happy when I slip into the car. I bought a chair with my wife uh, last week, uh, you know, and it's, it's a chair. Ah, what do I know about chairs? But I'm really hoping that when it shows up in a couple of weeks and I put my butt in it, I go, oh yeah, this is a good chair. I can see this being super comfortable, comfortable for a really long time. I have, I feel value. Is it going to last 10 years? Is it going to be an heirloom? I don't think so. But the value is usually not about that. The value is usually about what it feels like to sit in it and what it feels like to sit in it every single day. And do I feel good about having made that transaction? Investor, investor branding is all about do you anticipate the value down the road? Okay, so those are the first two uh, uh, audiences who look at the brand. The third audience is staff and candidates. I group those together because I think when we talk about employer branding, we just go candidates and we forget about the staff. And the truth is, it is the act and is the seeing the integrated brand through the lens of working there, being part of it, joining it, joining up into it, belonging into it, being a part of it. Not just taking something away, not a transaction, but do I join this organization? Do I continue to stay having joined at this organization? It is both staff and employees. And that's what makes a good strong employer brand is that you're not leading or just focusing on one side or the other. You're seeing them as one audience. One of those audiences has a lot more information than the other, right? Employees really know what the employer brand is because if the employer brand is what's it like to work here, those people actually know. <laughs> they actually work there. The candidates would like to know that information. They're looking at the same concept but using a lot less information and are being guided by information that you can feed them, right? You can't tell an employee who's been there two years what's it like to work there because they know they did it. They've been there. They are there. They continue to be there. You can't tell them anything. You can't, you can tell them why. You might want to influence or frame it, but really you can't tell it what it's like, tell them what it's like to work here. They know. Flat out, they know. Candidates would love to know that information. So you can see that that process is a lot less transactional. And that's almost what defines the concept of employer brand, right? Do I make a transaction with it whose value is defined at the moment of transaction? Do I make a transaction whose value is defined down the road? Or do I engage with a company where it's not about the transaction, it's about a sense of belonging and joining the idea of supporting those transactions? Wow, that was a lot of words. <laughs> I love to stop myself and realize that just happened. So yeah, so that is what the sense of an employer brand lives like, what it looks like when you're looking at it through the sense of an integrated brand. Now, the question I get most often at the end of presentations or speeches or conversations or whatever is, what happens when the consumer brand and the employer brand are different? Well, first off, they are never truly the same because the transaction and the what it's like to make the transaction are not the same. You know, the, the saying you don't want to know, need to know what the sausage, how the sausage gets made or how the laws get made. No one needs to see inside that. That's what we're talking about. You want to see whether that pair of headphones, that chair, that car, that book, whatever, how, you might get value out of it. But that value is often divorced from the sense of what it took to make it. Now, that's not a completely 100% all the time sort of situation. 
think of the concept for a very, very long time. It was expected that when a man asked a woman to marry her, and yeah, I'm being very gender specific because I'm thinking way back, back when, you know, uh, same-sex marriage and all sorts of other complicated, you know, relationships did not engage in this kind of model, but whatever. But back when the man asked the woman to marry him, he went and got a diamond, right? You got a diamond because why? The commercials told us we had to go buy a diamond and we had to spend how much? That's right, two months salary. Good. Yeah, Lord. That was a lie. Anyway, uh, <laughs> there is no law that says you have to spend two months. Anyway, but what happened was is at some point, after years and years and years, a very particular, one single company pretty much owning 90% of the entire diamond market, I'm not going to name names because they tend to be fairly litigious, and I don't need that kind of harassment in my life, but this company owned the diamond market. And they tended to source those diamonds some for some fairly unsavory places. You know, child slavery and war-torn areas where you've heard the term blood diamond, right? That's where it comes from. It's the diamond that you bought to put on someone's ring to say, please, will you be with me forever, or at least as long as this diamond lives, was sourced in a very, very bloody way. And consequently... The act of how you got that, the sourcing of that material, the act of how you got it, the, tr the joining, the organization you joined, and what you got started to overlap. And that's just one example. There are plenty of examples, right? Um, you look now, and I think I've talked about this quite a bit, you look at how from a PR crisis management standpoint, the go-to move is, you know, so first off, let's take a step back. When a brand hits a crisis moment, they all go back to the exact same playbook. When they do it right, let me rephrase. When they do it right, they go back to the same playbook. They look at bare aspirin in the 80s where somebody put cyanide in a couple of those pills and some people died, and that's not great, to put that nicely. Um, and what did Bear do? Well, they took immediate steps. They, they took ownership of the problem. The highest level person took ownership and accountability, and they overcompensated on the solution. It's a three-step model. You take ownership, you get the highest person in charge to take accountability for it, and you fix it, and you overfix it. I mean, you, the reason why it's impossible to get in tiny little medicine bottles these days is because of back then, that's what happened. And the truth is, it's you know, the funny thing, not funny, even remotely funny, but the reason this, if, if I remember correctly, the reason the sign I made into those pills is because someone who worked there did it. It wasn't somebody tampered with the bottle at a store. It was some some asshole working at that factory found a way to kind of screw up the, the supply chain. So consequently, they've overfixed it. They fixed a problem that didn't really exist. It wasn't some, you know, jerk or wacko kind of inserting cyanide pills into pill, into pill bottles at the store. But that's what they fix. The reason they have a little foil on top of the pill bottle, the reason why it's very hard to open that bottle, and the box itself is sealed, and there's tamper-resistant blah, blah, blah all over the place. It's because of that. They over-solve the problem. These days, however, there's a fourth step in that process, and that is, okay, once you've acknowledged the problem, admitted and taken ownership of the problem, you get the highest person to take some form of accountability, and you overcorrect on the problem, the fourth step is now bring in the employer brand to humanize the situation. We've talked about it. Papa John's. Papa John's was a jerk on TV. He said some shit, shouldn't have said. He got his butt kicked out. The whole board said, you know what? We're taking accountability. That guy should not be on the face of this. He should not be part of this company. Yeah, out. And they got rid of him and they overcompensated. They didn't have to fire him. They could have easily just said, look, let's just take him off TV. But they overcompensated. They got rid of the problem. They completely solved it. We uh, CEO, not the CEO, the uh, chairman of the board took ownership of it. So they did the model, right? 
and they did the fourth one. How do you know they did the fourth one? Well, go look at every single Papa John's commercial these days. It's, hey, look, I own a franchise. Hey, look, I make a pizza. It's the people. It's the people. It's the people. Wells Fargo, same thing. They got caught making accounts for their clients or their staff base or their customer base. No one asked for them to make an account, but they were trying to hit some quotas, so they made some fake accounts and screwed people over pretty good. Fix the problem, I believe. Owned accountability for the most part. And what was the other one? You overcompensated the fix. Yeah, I think they did. I think they probably fixed the wrong part of it, but that's a separate conversation. But then what do you see? It's the employer brand is the new go-to. Hey, look at the tellers. Hey, look at the branch managers. They're people. They live in your neighborhood. Aren't they wonderful people? They would never try and take your money. They'd never be ethical jerks to you. No, of course not. These are good, strong, nice, kind, attractive, lovely human beings, right? They would never do that to you. Fourth step in the PR crisis is employer brand, tapping in the employer brand. What's going to be happening is, is that you're going to realize very quickly that the employer brand, the consumer brand, and I guess to some extent the investor brand are one and the same. They're integrated. They're, it's the same sense of what is the company all about, what is it trying to do, and how does it do it, seen through those different lenses. And so when you ask the question, what happens when the employer brand and the consumer brand is different, they're not the same thing. They're not serving the same purposes. They're talking to different audiences. They're trying to solve different issues. However, they are looking through different lenses at the same company. So consequently, they're never truly the same, but if they, you know, if, if, they, if this is a company that talks all about innovation, but the work, employer brand is all about how great the work-life balance is, I'm going to have some questions, right? It's going to feel like, does that fit? Does that employer brand seem to connect or resonate with the other side of that brand? If it does, if you explain innovation as a function of innovative staffing where we've evolved into a four-day work week, that sounds like amazing work-life balance and also sounds innovative. Congratulations, you've threaded that particular needle. Good for you. However, if you say, yeah, we're super innovative, but we work 12-hour days, how do you, how do you call that work-life balance? I don't know how you do that. Right? So if you have a disconnect, it seems, I always go to the word schizophrenic. I'm sure that's a little awkward for some people, but there it is. It's a, it's a brand that says one thing and acts like another. It sells op, you know, option A, but it acts like option B. It doesn't feel considered. It doesn't feel connected. And if the more you look at your employer brand is a function of a larger brand, that it is actually the facet of a larger integrated brand, you have a better employer brand because you're not off on the side just doing stuff. You know, that's the trick, I, that's the complaint I have about recruitment marketing. If your recruitment marketing is a function of transaction, how do I get the butt in the seat? How do I get the person to apply? How do I make this happen? I will say anything, I will do anything, I'll put the ad anywhere, just make the application happen. That's recruitment marketing. That is my, my that is my, 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 uh, my, my, my complaint or critique of recruitment marketing. It's not all recruitment marketing, but I'm just saying when push comes to shove, the answer for recruitment marketing is more ads. Let's get more applications in there. And I just go, I don't think that's the right answer because employer brand says this is why. This is why we do what we do. This is how we do what we do. This is the culture. This is the organizational policies that support that culture and facilitate that culture. It's the leadership who's making decisions on the policies and the culture. It is the all the integrated, the people on the staff who support the culture and who are actively opening and embracing that culture or at least communicating the reason why out to the world. It's all these pieces integrated into this idea. The fact that they all make the widget or sell the service that's not incidental. You need to start thinking about how do I not say my employer brand is X, but how do I think about my employer brand as a facet of a larger integrated brand? Now, 
full disclosure, I know no one who works at Bank of America, so I don't have any inside scoop on, do, <clears throat> was that intentional? Did they decide to make an integrated employer brand? Did they decide to, or an inter, integrated brand commercial that supported both the employer brand and the consumer brand? I have no way of knowing. For all I know is that they were kind of leaning in that kind of consumer PR or crisis PR kind of model where they're saying, look, when, when all else fails, talk about how lovely your people are. That's kind of what that is. And maybe that's what they were doing and I don't know. And maybe this is an inadvertent integrated commercial. Because let's be fair, banks, and again, not denigrating anybody, but to my way of thinking, in my experience, banks are all uh, roughly the same. I mean, it's kind of like airlines with one or two exceptions. An airline's an airline, a seat's a seat. They're all about the same size. Uh, they're all flying the same airspace. It's not like one has a smoother flight and the other one doesn't. Uh, they're all using planes made by two different companies, Airbus or Boeing. Um, there's not a lot of differentiation in the service, in the, uh, the speed in which you get me there. Uh, they're kind of all the same to me. Banks are kind of the same way. So if a product is commoditized to some extent, when it's very hard to see the difference between bank A and bank B or airline A and airline B, Employer brand is a way to create differentiation where there wasn't one there before. I've, I find myself going back to uh, airlines when people ask me, what's your favorite employer brand? I don't have one. I think I've talked about this. They should be fairly subtle. They should feel very integrated. They should not be shouty saying, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm an employer brand. But some of the best examples are airlines. I got a friend over an airline whose name I will not resolve, <laughs> divulge because I don't know if, uh, what I should be talking about there. But she sees the work of employer brand being so well integrated into the actual brand that to some extent she wonders, do I need to be here? What's the work I'm doing? What is the job I'm supposed to be doing? If the employer brand is naturally being supported by the brand as a whole, by the integrated brand, what is the role of an employer brand? And I'd love to kind of spend some time unpacking that at some point in the future because I'd love to see how you get from where most companies are, i.e. employer brand doesn't like to talk to marketing and they fight and it's Hatfields and McCoys or, <clears throat> you know, a uh, uh, not Romeo and Julia, who's the, the, the Montagues and the oh, Capulets. Thank you. Thank you, whoever said that. I know one of you said that. You know, they're fighting. They're always disconnected. Or even when they're connected, they still feel like very different teams. They're very rarely deeply integrated. But to me, the best employer brands are feel like just a natural part of the brand. They're not a separate. They're not a silo. They're not on the other side. They are just simply, how do I take this, you know, this integrated employer brand and communicate it to staff and candidates. That's where we should be headed. So Jason, like I said, I think, I don't even know if I finished that thought. Jason Kipps is all about this idea that this is the direction we're heading, that most companies will start to see employer brand as an integrated part, that they will get closer and closer to a core sense of corporate brand, that injecting humanity, which I think is interesting, into the sense of why the company does what it does, because a company is just a legal entity. It's just a couple, a couple contracts. It's a couple of it's taking advantage of a couple of laws that say, nope, it's just a, it's not a person. It's, it's just a legal entity. It's a, you know, it's a tax code more than anything else. That's all a company is. But when you apply a brand on it, 
you try to you almost you, you personalize it you humanize it you personify it to some extent and the employer brand is the best way to make that happen yes there's plenty of brands that go to the great lengths to make it a mascot or making a an owner be feel like that kind of face of the brand you go to look at a Timo and you got uh, John Leger or whatever his name is I'm probably mispronouncing that he was very much the face of T-Mobile. He was very much out there and telling everybody, this is why we work here. This is why we do what we do. This is why we offer the services we do. Be different, you know, be challenging, uh, be aggressive, be you know, re- rebellious. That was his brand and consequently that brand is T-Mobile's brand. Right? Sometimes you have to make it up. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, my favorite of all time, my favorite made up brand of all time was the Chicago Tribune, The Colonel. Now, no, most of you don't know who this person is, but... Way back when social media was in, in its infancy, they made up a fake person uh, to be their owner of their Twitter account, and he had like a, a hat, like a sailor's hat fashioned out of newspaper like you make for kids, and it was a, an illustrated face, so it wasn't a real person, and he had a voice and a personality, and he would respond to people on Twitter and social media. That to me was great because it was the face of the Chicago Tribune, a big newspaper, a big organization, a big news organization. They made up a mascot that was not, you know, a furry critter or not a you know big idea, but it's just this person, this fake person who lives embodies the newsroom. I thought that was fantastic. So you could do it for real, or you can kind of do it for the fake way, like this uh, paper had a dude. But that's still very external. I mean, look at T-Mobile. John Legere is, is starting to leave, right? He's already announced that he's not going to be there forever. Uh, in fact, I think he's got some dates put together. I don't remember. I don't have the dates. And please, I don't think, don't let me in, uh, <laughs> sway you for buying or selling any stock. That's not what we're doing here, kids. Um, but, you know, what happens when you have, you put so many of those eggs into that particular element of the brand that is the face and that face decides to leave? What happens when you are a sandwich company and you decide the guy who got thin eating all your sandwiches, you're going to make him the face of the brand and then it turns out that was a bad idea isn't that right jared (laughs) i will let you google that if you don't know yeah that dude should not have been the face of the brand doing that puts all your eggs in one basket but if you focus on your employer brand as being the element that personifies that every single person inside the brand has the opportunity and the ability to advocate for your brand, that you don't have to put all the eggs in one basket, that all your eggs are just all out in, out in the open and doing what they do, and that was a weird metaphor I stretched out, um, that you have more power to that. And I think that's really where we are going. I think that's where we want to be heading. And as I am trying to not be feel quite so full over turkey and stuffing and all the other stuff over Thanksgiving, I think that's where we're heading, the integrated employer brand, that there's a way of seeing how we get from where we are to where we want to be, where there is a single brand and we are simply the owners of an aspect of it. And that we are building something in at the same time, in conjunction, arm in arm, in, in lockstep with all the other elements of all the different brand owners, whether it's marketing, whether it's comms, whether it's investor relations, what have you, we're all supporting the brand together. And that means, maybe that means you got to spend 2020 figuring how employer brand keeps that seat at the table and kind of really makes that seat at the table happen, that you're not just this other, you're not just this silo, you're not just this, oh yeah, by the way, the EB person, that you are truly focusing on supporting a deeper, more integrated brand. Maybe that's your 2020 resolution. I don't know. It's a little early for resolutions, but that's just my thought. All right. That's what I had for today. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, Newsletters, uh, open office hours. uh, Yeah. I'll talk to you next week. Bye. This has been an episode of the Talent Cast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. 
If you'd like to get in touch with me, a couple ways to do that. Obviously, there's Twitter, at The War for Talent. You can go to the podcast website at thetalentcast.com. If you'd like to stay up to date on the news of this industry and what's going on, just go to employerbrand.news and sign up for the email newsletter with lots of news and links to other places. If you just want to connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hello or let's just talk, that's linkedin.com slash in slash the war for talent. Or I bet if you just search for James Ellis, I'd pop up pretty quick. Otherwise, if you have any questions, concerns, considerations, ideas for podcasts, holler at me, let me know what's going on. Thank you if you've shared it. Please share if you haven't. Rate us, review us. I love all that stuff. It really does help kind of keep the message going and get the message out there. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next week. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.